Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? You doing all right? Welcome to fall. Mixed feelings about it. My favorite time of the year. You know, we all kind of have a relationship with seasons. We have a relationship with weather, with our rhythms. We have lots of kinds of relationships. Some of us are married. Some of us are parents. Uh, Some of us have workplaces. Show me your hands. You ever, um, you ever in any kind of relationship and it starts to feel stale? You know what I mean, Anne? Like it lacks vibrancy and you're just going through the motions. You're getting the work of the relationship done and you're just feeling dry. Show me. Who's ever felt that way? And I think at this point, if your hand is not up in the air, you're like, forget you, Candace. I don't want to participate. Fair. Fair. I got nothing against you. Love you every bit. Me too. Or you've never been in a relationship, so I feel pretty strongly it's probably the first one. It's hard to walk through humanity and not have a relationship. But what happens when the relationships begin to feel, and I cannot say this strongly enough, they will encounter stagnancy. And never more so than your relationship with God. You meet Jesus for the first time and you're just all fired up. In fact, that's what we call it, right? We often say you're on fire for the Lord, right, John? And you, could, you can sense a person on fire for the Lord from 15 miles away. I'm telling you, it is potent. And then you sort of ease on down the road and maybe you've been walking with the Lord 30 years and there is either a true fire, could be, because that's not dependent necessarily on newness, but usually you settle into a monotony. And in our worst times, we start to feel, yes, uh, Lord, why am I even doing this? Dare I say, you become bored with God. I mean, really think about that. You become bored with God. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to confront that aspect of the faith grind. That's the name of our series in Ephesians. And we're talking about what it's like today to be in what we call the daily grind, the work of these stagnant relationships. And what we're going to see in scripture is that this is not just contained to our relationship with God. It starts there, but it transcends that and it trickles into every relationship we have. And we cry out and we say, but God... Why do I feel so bored, so deflated, so dry, so uninspired? Aren't you the great big God? Shouldn't I feel a little something, something walking with you? And I will tell you, I have been waiting four years to be able to teach this sermon right here. And I have waited and waited because I, I knew the Holy Spirit was saying, but you don't get to teach for you. You get to teach for me. And in due time, And I finally feel like he has given me permission. 
and my beautiful, precious friend, Eileen, whom I love just so deeply. I feel particularly connected, you and me, because we were there when we encountered but God. And the quick side story is that in 2019, as we have done so many years, we've lost track, we take, um, along with our student pastor, a group of students to summer camp. Yeah, there it is. Where you at, Lorelai? Give me a good one. Whoop, whoop. Yep. And this particular year, we were down at Fort Lewis College in Durango, which through a series of events only God contrives and inspires. It's also where Elijah is currently going to school. So in 2019, Grace was a graduating senior. Elijah was a freshman. Amongst many other students, we took him down there. And this incredible teacher who I faithfully follow, I learn from his teaching every single time I listen to him teach. And his name is Dr. Ed Newton. He's the pastor of Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. I highly recommend you explore his teaching. He's stellar, just stellar. And he was the teacher at Camp Generate in 2019. And the arc of his teaching revolved around two words. And it's the same two words that my teaching will revolve around today. But God. And Eileen and I walked away. We were supposed to be there and we're there as leaders. And the students were supposed to be absorbing. But you know what's true? If you go anywhere near the spirit of the living God, you will absorb him. And I don't care what you're there for or why you think you're there. He is coming for you. And my life was radically changed by the week of that teaching. Radically changed. Right, Eileen? You were too. So today we're going to be borrowing. And so I'm giving all credit to the Holy Spirit first and to Dr. Ed Newton second. And we're going to be talking about but God. You know, Kelly said something the very first week we started this series, and it was, if you don't know your why, you'll never be able to do your how. I don't know if you remember that, but I, re- I thought to myself, write that down. If you don't know your why, you won't do your how. And today, particularly, what we're going to talk about is getting back to the root in that grind and remembering that even though we feel a certain way in the grind, there is a but God that will spin us back to him, that will spin us back to remembering why we do this in the first place, why we felt that fire to begin with, and how do I get back there with God? Because the truth is, God has gone nowhere. If you have Good morning. Good morning. If you have moved, you've moved, but God stays the same. So we don't have a problem with God, right? We have a problem with ourselves. So let's find it. Let's get some hope. I want to see you leave today. My hope for you is that you will leave enervated, encouraged, and you will remember, but there is more to God than what I'm living right now. Amen? Are you ready? Do we know where we're going? Then let's hit it. We're going to do something a little bit differently. Normally when I teach you, I break scripture down a little bit at a time. We're still going to do that today. But what I would like to do is read our entire passage so that we get the full picture. And then we're going to dive into particulars. That all right? Because if it's not all right, I'll change my teaching right now for you. Are you sure? You know, I'll do anything for you. Ephesians 2.1, join me. Welcome online. If you're in the house, we have programs, or you can join us on the Bible app. Here we go. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. I love how God's going to dive right in. 
you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, see, see how he had me wait for his perfect time. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together by Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Amen. Amen, brother. And this is not your own doing. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, in my very humble opinion, as a fellow follower of Jesus, this is one of the most powerful, empowering passages that exist in the word of God. So let's see how we can use this looking at our grind to experience how the name of Jesus Christ empowers us, but God. Here's point number one. You were dead, but God made you alive. But God made you alive. What do we mean you were dead? Now, the benefit, like in my story, of accepting Jesus Christ as an adult, I was 18, so a young adult, admittedly. But it gives you this perspective a mindfulness of what it was like to walk without Jesus. It's acute. When you're a child and you accept Jesus Christ, that's a beautiful story. One's not better than the other. But what happens is if you grow up like our three children have in a home that loves the Lord, and that's constantly how you're raised. Pastor Micah, this is part of your story. Sometimes, sometimes you don't experience that powerful transition, mindfully aware of what it was to be dead. And now I look back and I realize, can I tell you, I was a dead person walking. I didn't know that, but now on the other side, I can see that. Obviously, I was breathing. Obviously, I got up every morning. I went through the details of my life. I went to bed every night. I ate in between. I had conversations. There was a schedule. There was, do you all hear it? Do you hear the grind? There it is the grind. But scripture says he made us alive. Now, here's what I want you to get from that. He didn't say, I, I brought you into rebirth. 
That would imply, for instance, you were alive and I made you alive again, right? That's what re means. And he doesn't say you were alive and I gave you extra life or more life or better life. It says I made you alive and that means you were dead. Dead to hope, dead to possibility, dead to circumstances, dead to passion, dead to true meaning. You might've thought as I was, hey, I'm in college and I'm gonna go be a biogeneticist and that's my great passion in life. And I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, that wasn't my passion at all. My passion was to live for a God who's given me a purpose. He made us alive. Here's why that's important, not just in your relationship with God, but in your relationship with one another. The same dead you once were is the dead that's in many people around you. How come we don't have more empathy? Hmm. See, are there sins that, that you encounter and they make you uncomfortable? Now, I'm not talking about opposition to God like child trafficking, right? Or sexual assault or murder. I'm talking about these sins that are more cultural. They fly under the radar. Uh, my training at work, LGBTQ2IA++ is where we're at right now. That's where we're at right now. Do you feel uncomfortable with that? Okay. Let's talk about the word uncomfortable. Because see, here's the trap that the enemy has. If he turns you to a group of people or a particular sin or a particular circumstance... And he says to you, it's so awkward. That's so ugly. You can't talk about that. That's so wrong. What he's doing is he's disintegrating your empathy and you never reach out. It's a clever way to win. It's a clever way to win. Because he tells you what's true. He does tell you it's wrong and it is wrong. It is sin. But if Jesus turned his back on any one particular sin, you better hope it wasn't your sin or you'd never be saved. And instead, if we can look at what makes us uncomfortable and ask ourselves why, because the truth is that's dead. They're living in death just like I was. And you realize you're far more the same than you are different. And the question is, what fire won't you go in to deliver the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because there are no limitations on the Great Commission. Go and preach the gospel of the Lord unless you're uncomfortable, unless you're too busy, unless you're in the faith grind, unless you're bored, unless you're uninspired, unless you're repulsed. There is no unless. So you have to get rid of the uncomfortability and I would encourage you, replace it with empathy and then go confront the sin because others need to be made alive just like you were. Somebody came to me, many somebodies came to me and they said, you're a dead woman walking. Now that may not have been their language, but that was the truth of the gospel. And I'm standing here alive. And I know it was because somebody said, God is better. But God, 
but God. We need to do the same. Point number two, you once followed the empty rest. We're going to break this down. You once followed the empty rest, but God saved, raised, and seated you. Where do we see this in our scripture? Go back to me, uh, go back with me to verse one. So we were dead, verse two. You once walked, moving forward in a continual progress. In what? Where were you going? What were you doing? Well, Jesus, I was following the course of this world. I was following the prince of the power of the air. What does that mean? I was following this invisible truth, this darkness that seemed like light. But God. But God says instead, I have, this is in verses five and six, uh, Instead of being like the rest of mankind, by nature children of wrath, by passions of flesh, by having desires of body and mind, he has seated, raised, saved. And I want you to attach, it's in the later verse, but I really want you to attach importantly the word with, that you were saved with, that you were raised with that you were seated with. Do you see that in the scripture? Why is that word with important? In your program, I wrote that there's two life truths you must never, ever compromise. That's my challenge to you. Please don't ever compromise them. Number one, don't ever take credit for his gift because you have been saved by the power of Jesus Christ. And it, scripture says, not by your own works. It is the gift of God. So don't take credit. And I, I don't think most of us would walk around and say, I am saved in the name of Jesus Christ by me. Except we do. We do. My life is good because I went to college and I got an education and I make a lot of money. My life is good because I work hard. Go to college. I mean, I of all people, please go to college. That's if that's your calling. Yes, please work hard. Yes, please love your children. Yes, please be a good friend. Yes, please go and get extra training. Yes, go. Yes, 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 yes. But that is how we enrich and stay faithful to what God has given us. That is not how we get saved. That's works. We don't believe in works as a path to our salvation. That's not scriptural. And that after we have been saved, that we have been raised with, that we have been seated with. My point here that I'm attempting, it feels like very hard, to describe is that we have power and place and purpose, but only through God, but God. God, I don't feel like I have much, but God says, you do. Uh, God, I don't really feel like I need you, but God says, I'm everything. And number two, do you measure your success by whether you're living up to that gift in your life? Or put another way, my challenge would be, how do you measure your success? 
Are you making an impact on the kingdom of God and you go to bed at night laying down your head knowing that God knows you just did it? Scripture says he knows when you stand and he knows when you sit, when you rise and when you go to bed. He knows every hair on your head and he collects all the tears that you shed in a bottle. Is that how you're measuring your success? God, what did I do for you today? Or have you fallen into following the prince of peace, I'm sorry, the prince of the darkness in the air, and you're saying to yourself, money, power, esteem, materialistic. Have no doubt that the gift of God has been freely given to you, but it's not yours to claim. And I want to say one other very important part, and I really want you to stay with me on this. Do not, do not trade being made alive in Christ because you think you have to do penance by living in the sin of your past. I want to bring up this phrase, spent a lot of time contemplating this self, uh, this phrase, forgive yourself. We all know that phrase, right? You've heard it forgive yourself. Maybe we've even given that as advice to others before. Forgive yourself. Why do we say that? See, because when we look at this scripture and we look at verse eight, what good does forgiving yourself really do? See, it's a trap, right? It's it's always meant with the best of intentions. Hey, you're beating yourself up. You're being too hard on yourself. And so we say, forgive yourself. But we don't actually have the power to do any forgiving of ourselves. Who forgave us, made us alive, and set us free forever through the gift of God, which is not yours, so that you can't take any credit for it? If you're forgiving yourself, aren't you taking credit for it? ever thought about that? I hadn't. I'd never thought about that until I started teaching this message. So what would you say instead? You'd say, hey, brother, hey, sister, you know what I think is going on? You need to grab hold with both fists. You need to grab hold with both fists of the truth that the God who created everything and existed before time, who made heaven and earth and water and air and sent his only son to die for you. And if it was just you, he'd do it all over again. You need to grab hold of that with both fists and then shove it deep into your soul and really believe that that's true. Don't forgive yourself. Really receive that God already has because it drives away from us and our power and it drives us into God's gift. Do you all see that? That's a lot to chew on. I encourage you to chew on that because we are not called to empower ourselves above God. Instead, we need to release the guilt and shame of our past, not to our own forgiveness, but to the truth that the forgiveness of God was bought at not a price, it was bought at the price. There is no higher price to be paid than the price that Jesus paid for you.
Why aren't you grabbing hold? And punishing yourself with that old sin, though I get it, the shame that comes with that. You remember what you look like then. You remember what you felt like then. You think about all the faces like a Rolodex slipping through your mind. And you think about the faces of the people that you, you hurt, you harmed, you lied to. And the shame just becomes so overpowering. And you break down and you're weeping and you think, I have no worth. There is no Jesus Christ in that moment. Satan is all around you in that moment. Because the redemption of Jesus Christ does not break you down. It raises you up. What do we say when we baptize? We say, buried in sin, raised to walk in new life. That's your choice. That is the power he gives you. Do not give it back to Satan. It's the worst waste of the greatest extravagance. Amen? Point number three, your walk had no meaning. Perfect segue. Your walk, and I don't mean your walk with the Lord here, okay? I mean your daily grind, your faith grind of life, right? It had no meaning prior to God, but God prepared the path of a masterpiece. A masterpiece. Oh, but God. So if the idea that we just walked through of the pain and the shame of your past is potent to you, if that's really hard for you, if that uh, brings up wounds for you, I've got the perfect balm. And it's in verses 2 and in verse 10. Look at verse 10. I'm going to read it again. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why were you created? For good works. And what kind of good works? The one God prepared for you beforehand. And he needs you to walk in them. So your walk had no meaning and it ha now it has every meaning. That word workmanship, we've taught it. Our team has taught it multiple times. It's so powerful, it's worth repeating. That Greek translation is poema. Poema, it sounds like the English word what? Poem. You are a divine poem. You ever thought about that? I mean, listen, you could write that on your mirror. You could put that in your car. I'm a divine poem. Now, I being a lit nerd, Micah, you being a lit nerd, we appreciate a good poem. I mean, I've spent years studying them. And there's nothing I'm ever going to read, nothing I'm ever going to teach, nothing I'm ever going to study that's better than every poem in this room. Because your author is God. And he's my favorite writer. Every time you fail, it's part of your divine poem. Every time you've won, it's a part of your divine poem. Every time you've experienced life and every time you've experienced death and every moment in between is your divine poem. And someday it'll be your time to go home and somebody's gonna talk about your divine poem. What do you want it to say? He's the best kind of writer because though he's constructing it, 
he lets us play a part. You're his divine workmanship. So don't ever come tell me that your life has no meaning. Don't ever come tell me that you have nothing to do. You feel stagnant. You feel dry. You feel unenergized. Find something to do. He's got good works waiting for you to do them. You have a lot of living left. And if that amount of a lot is 15 minutes, live it well. If it's 15 years, live it well. If it's 30 years, live it well. Because you're a divine poem. There's always something to do for God. And if you don't know him and you have like, I don't, I don't know that meaning. I don't have that meaning because I, I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. Where have you been? I want you. Come find me. And if you've been living with him for a long time and you've gotten bored and stagnant, come on back. You can never, ever not. I know it's a double negative. It's a double negative with purpose. You can never not come back to God. His is the truest open door policy you'll ever find. Come back. Point number four. And this is where I really hope that you're inspired. Sometimes we have to go through the hard to get to the good on the other side. You hear the world say, give up. How many of you feel like, especially right now? Yes, me too. Like you're not even halfway. You're like a solid nodding of that head. Amen, sister. You hear the world say, give up. But God says, you've still got a reason to praise You've still got a reason to praise. Find it. Find it. Find it. It is the way you will encounter hope. Find it. And then do it. Find your reason to praise and then praise God for it. Now, I could come up with a whole litany of ideas. But I felt, as is always how I feel, God wrote it best. Let's look together. Psalm 40, verse 1. This is one of my favorites. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. Listen to this, how powerful. And he turned to me. He turned toward you. He heard your voice and he turned toward you. You had full attention. And he heard your cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and he steadied me as I walked along. You know anybody who's steady? I taught on Wednesday night and I, I shared this thought and usually when I teach, you know, we've got the points and we've got scripture and then we've got whatever the Holy Spirit wants to say. And so this came up on Wednesday night, and it, I feel it very strongly right now. If you're not a steady person, learn to be steady. It's not a personality trait. It's, a, it's an absolute discipline of the Holy Spirit. What do we mean by steady? One of the steadiest people I know is standing in, uh, in the back of the room by the sound booth. The steadiest human I know is Craig Kovac. 100%. 1,000%.
One of the steadiest person I know besides Craig is Micah standing in the back of the room. Find people who influence your life with the steadiness of the Holy Spirit, who drive you again and again and again to the word of God, to the truth of God. Every time you have pain or angst, worry, every time your pride is confronted, every time your trust is tested, every time worry overwhelms you, it's the steady in your life who will say, but God, but God, and then learn from them and be steady. Learn from them and you be steady too, because God is steady for you. Let us represent that beautiful attribute of God. He steadied you as you walked along. Verse three, he has given me a new song to sing. A new song, not the same old boring one. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Your acts do not save you. I don't know how God can be clearer, right? Sometimes with God, we look at his word and we're like, ah, I got to study, I got to study, I'm not sure. Okay, well, don't worry. Your acts do not save you. But salvation in him means he's got work for you to do. I'm telling you, get on with it. Will you please just get on with it? Get on with it. Forward is the only direction you've got. Get on with it. I want you to really pause at these verses and I want to make some connections briefly and then we're going to close, uh, close this up. If you look between Psalm 40 and Ephesians 2, I want to bring your attention to certain sets of words. Do you remember saved, raised, and seated? Remember that from earlier? Yes or no? Yes, I hope so because it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> stay with me, stay with me. And now I want you to see in Psalm 40, do you see help, lifted, and set? I want you to think of help equals saved. How did he help you? He saved you. How has he lifted you or how has he raised you? He lifted you out of the mire and he put you on solid ground so that you could be steady. No more wobbling. And finally, seated, he set you. You're locked in. If you feel that you're not locked in, if you feel in your life like the faith grind has you all a tumble, scripture says untrue. Scripture says untrue. You're set and you're seated. So now you ask yourself, why am I so wobbly? And fix it. Fix it. Is it sin? Confront it. Repent. Change. Now, I say that like it's easy. I know it's not easy. But you know what will be harder? Never confronting it at all. Because you're just going to weeble wobble through the rest of your life. And you're going to miss out on what Psalm 40 finishes up uh, promising. Look at verse 4. Oh, the joys. You want some joy? No, I'm asking. Do you want some joy? 
okay, here we go. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Who, you who have no confidence, right? The joy of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Oh, Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. Don't tell me there's no plan for your life. God says, I have so many plans, I can't number them. Get to it. God, you have no equal. It's one of my favorite things to tell him. You have no rival. You have no equal. And if I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end. You might be in the grind, but God says, come on back to your how. Be reminded of your why, as Kelly reminded us when he first began the series. Your why is to live a purpose-filled life devoted solely to Jesus Christ and the gospel he died for. That's it. The rest is just filling. The rest is just filling. How? Follow in discipline. Think about word, prayer. Are you in a community? You need others to be your steady. Say yes. Next time God asks you, next time God tells you, just say yes. Don't ask for the conditions. Don't ask for the parameters. Don't ask for what it's going to cost you. Don't tell him you don't have time. Don't tell him you don't have energy. If he asks you or tells you, just say yes. Yes. Serve. Serve in the name of the Holy Spirit. Two of these people sitting right in the front row, Jenny and Eileen, I love them so much. Pastor Micah, we all serve together. And let me tell you something. If you've never served in students, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful way to serve, but it will beat you down. It's very hard. But if you get down in the pit with other believers, you know what you find out? You've still got a reason to praise. It'll bind you. The work of the Lord done together will bind you. You'll feel less alone. You'll experience your purpose. And wherever it is that God tells you or asks you to serve, what are you going to say? Yes. Yes. Father, we come to you. And we're in the grind, God. I don't know. The best relationships are, I think, the hardest. Boy, are they worth it. I think sometimes we take you for granted, God. Because really in our, our simple humanity, how could we not? How could we not? Because we get up every day and there's a, this incredible Colorado sunrise. And we're like, ooh, that was pretty. And maybe we post it to social media. But when was the last time we thought of you as an artist painting the sky for our eyes to see you? One is how we live in the grind. And the second is how we live when we say, but God, 
but God. Help us to turn away from the emptiness and the dryness of a life spent in the grind, forgetting, uh, uh, hiding, rejecting, dismissing you. And instead, but God, we turn to you and we are enervated because we know the truth of your word stands strong forever. And I've got a reason to praise. My walk has a purpose. I've got somewhere to be. I've got somewhere to go. I have empathy to give to others who have not yet had the experience of being made alive in Christ. Inspire us. Light a, 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 a match under us, God. As Pastor Micah loves to say, fan the flame that I might remember, that I might recall that I might be rejuvenated again in the deep waters of following you, you perfect, holy, deserving God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.